every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week, you know her, you love her, back again to finish out her season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, professor, editor, and author Elizabeth Rambo. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome back for the trifecta. This is three episodes in a row that you've got. Yeah, I think it's some kind of record. Yeah. I hope, it, hope it'll be all right. <laughs> well, I I think I mentioned on a previous episode that uh, once once you reminded me that, like, this is your season. Like, you literally wrote the book on this season. Um, well, not I, me alone. <laughs> well, yes, yes. But come on, it's yours. You know it. You've you planted your flag. Um I should have just had you on every episode for season six, but uh, making up for lost time. Well, there have been some great uh, guests talking yes. about season six, though. So it's been, yes. you've had some really good episodes. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to James South, uh, who's actually your co-editor on the, the book about season six, Buffy Goes Dark, Essays on the Final Two Seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Along with Lynn Edwards, yes. Along with Lynn Edwards, yes, uh, who I've not ever had on the show and i've never spoken to her is she someone i should reach out to um you know you could do that i know she's she's another person who's very busy i'm not saying that i'm not busy but <laughs> uh, or that i don't but or that she doesn't care about this um about buffy but uh yeah you know you could you could uh, reach out to her, sure. All right. Well, Lynn, if you're listening, you have an invite. And if you're not listening, which I'm sure you're not, I will, <laughs> I'll try and reach out to you. Um, anyways, so uh, specifically a shout out to James South, who so far I've only managed to get on this podcast once before on the fifth episode to discuss the finale of season one. Um, and uh, he was supposed to be joining both of us. This was going to be a rare twofer. Um, I think I've only had two guests on simultaneously once before uh, when I had um, Rab and Richardson. I can't remember their first names mm -hmm. all of a sudden. But um, anyways, uh, you were going to pull double duty with James South. And he is among the working. He counts himself employed. And that means that he... Uh, he got pulled into work today and had to bow out. So it falls to you, Elizabeth, to stick the landing on season six. I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. And hopefully uh, I can get James in here for season seven or Angel or something. James will be back. At any rate. Um, yeah. It would have been nice to have. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he has written some great things on season seven. 
And uh, so maybe for season seven or or for Angel. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I'll need to get you back since uh, I, I always forget that Buffy Goes Dark is the final two seasons. So season seven is in here, too. But for some reason, I always think of it as the season six book. Um, so, yeah. anyways. But... Yes. Yeah, speaking of sticking the landing, uh, Elizabeth, you're here to wrap out season six. So tonight we're going to be talking about episodes 621, Two to Go, and 622, Grave, which are the final two. It's basically the two-part finale of season six. That's right. Because uh, they both, I believe, uh, when they originally aired in May of 2002, they aired back-to-back on the same night. That's my recollection yeah. as well. Yeah. So... Um, all right. Before we get to that, let me throw the spoiler warning in here. Uh, if uh, if you're new to the show, Conversations with Dead People, first of all, what a weird place to start in the final episode of season six. But whatever, you do you. <laughs> if this is your first time, uh, we're not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and a lot of them, all of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and ideally angel the series all the way through at least once press pause go do that uh make your peace with all of the joys and traumas of both shows and then come back and listen to us after you've seen it so with that out of the way uh elizabeth if you're ready let's go to work all right so how do you want to tackle this they are two distinct episodes but like i said they kind of are a, it's kind of a two-part uh so you want to talk about in depth about two to go six twenty one? Yeah, it picks up right after the end of the previous episode, so it's they could have just done a three part, a right. three hour finale. Um, right. Uh, Willow's just flayed uh, Warren and uh, witnessed by Buffy, Sander, and uh, Anya. Yeah. So the title and, of this, uh, the title of this is actually yeah. a, a payoff to willow's final line in that episode which was one down and so this yeah. episode is two to go um and of course we all know what that means we all know who the two to go are jonathan and andrew oh my or poor... the other one <laughs> the yeah jonathan and the other one <laughs> um i think i think i grow to really like andrew in season seven um in season seven yeah uh, it was fun when it was the trio. It was Warren, Jonathan, and Andrew. I, I liked Andrew in that. But when it's just Jonathan and Andrew, I kind of lose track of Andrew. I just—I mean, my poor beloved Jonathan uh, is the only one I want to <laughs> well, focus on. Yeah, and um, Andrew, uh, I think this is something that is said about Andrew in season seven, is that he's not evil, but he takes on the flavor of anything he's close to, like a mushroom. <laughs> that's so, a that's a wonderful analogy. So he really he's Andrew is more evil in season six where he's hero worshiping and almost infatuated with Warren. Oh, I don't and, I don't think it's almost. I think it's pretty explicitly <laughs> yeah, infatuated. It's definitely he's infatuated with Warren. So he he wants to he's more evil in season six. Yeah. Um yeah. Which I think that's a thing, I mean, we'll probably talk about it a little bit here, but certainly once we get into season seven, um, we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about, like, what really, what constitutes evil and how, who's worthy of redemption and who's not and 
who gets yeah. in the show and who doesn't, but at any rate. So uh, in this one, the very first thing I wanted to comment on uh, is that it's, <laughs> they make an interesting attempt. For some reason, it stood out to me here in two to go, even though I know the show has done this before. I've commented on it before, but for some reason, this one was like a red flag. I thought it was interesting that they had Anya comment on uh, a witch at her level, meaning uh, Willow. Uh, she yeah. said, like, a witch at her level can only go airborne. She can't teleport. Um, yeah. Uh, it was interesting to me because that felt like an attempt to like imply a rule structure to the system of magic in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is nebulous at best. Um, but here it really seemed like they were trying to specify what Willow is able to do. And I actually think watching over the course of this episode, I paid attention and um, I think it's pretty clear that even though this is the episode where she is overtly referred to as dark Phoenix and we, us fans all just think of this as the dark Phoenix episode. Sure. Um, she's not as all powerful as that character was in, in the X-Men comics. Uh, she's limited by her abilities. And I think most of what she manages to do in this episode, at least is our, our versions of telekinesis. Mm -hmm. I mean, she throws yeah. some lightning or energy bolts or whatever, but most of it, I think she accomplishes with just telekinesis. So she's not yet able to just spontaneously do anything that pops into her head yeah i agree and and there does seem to be this what anya says about her being unable to teleport at this level this some indication that they're trying to impose a structure on magic or explain what's going on um and just explain why she can't do certain things or can do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I can't remember if it was one of our discussions uh, when you were on the show or not, but I have commented and I, I should have brought this up and reminded myself what the episode was, but when she, when Willow was uh, getting crazy with Amy and went to the bronze and was just, she was doing serious dark Phoenix stuff in that episode where she was just spontaneously rearranging the structure of, <laughs> of matter at the subatomic <laughs> level and creating things out of nothing and just very casually change altering the nature of reality sending um, people to other other world dimensions and bringing them back yeah <laughs> yeah which that to me even though it wasn't played out as being as dangerous as this end of the world willow as as scary veiny willow um that just seemed way more casually powerful than anything she does here yes it did um that's true. And well, and people were worried about her at that point. Right. But she didn't see it as dangerous because she said, Oh, it was just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't hurt anybody permanently, whatever. Right. That, that was her attitude at that point. Um, one thing we did see in that episode though, that we also see in this final episode or next to last episode is that, Doing that kind of extreme magic uh, drains the power of the witch who does it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, which is a good thing. I mean, it's a good yeah. thing that they put that sort of limiter on Willow. Otherwise, she really could have just uh, ended the world right away. But yeah. And actually, that 
brings up so <laughs> in these final two episodes there are a whole bunch of just little touches that i jotted down quick notes about little things that i particularly liked um and one of the things uh that i liked in this episode is that jonathan my beloved jonathan um mm-hmm. not only is he showing signs of you know recognizing the horrible things that he was a part of by partnering with warren and, and andrew definitely um but we also get to see uh in this episode we get to see him being the one like he's al- almost always played for a joke in his in every appearance he's in but here we start getting a glimpse of maybe how useful he could have been if he had ever been allowed into the group because yeah. he's he's the one that notices uh that willow is weakening as she's as she's driving the truck at them in the chase sequence mm-hmm. um and I think the, I think the uh, magic shop is in the next episode, isn't it? Oh uh, no, it's in this one. Yeah, and he offers to translate or help translate. Yeah, he tries a couple times to to help translate that book or whatever. And I, <laughs> again, I, I guess I get it. I guess I get where they're coming from. But I just kept finding myself being, oh, come on, he wants to help so bad. This is, it seems cruel. Yeah for Jonathan, who's just always wanted to be a part of their fun group to now be forced to sit in the corner of the magic box of all places and watch the team work. And he can't do anything about it, but I guess that's part of his penance, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, Another, another tiny little touch. I'm sorry. I just want to throw this in here about that that car chase when Willow is magically controlling the truck. There's an, there's a really I'm so proud of the show for pulling this off. There's a major bit of continuity in that scene because the first time or not the first time, but one of the times when the truck smashes into the the fleeing cop car, it knocks the bumper loose and uh. the bumper starts dragging and kicking up sparks. And normally in Buffy, that's exactly the kind of continuity gaff that would have been all over the place. All the subsequent shots, it would have been hit or miss if, oh, the bumper's dragging. Oh, no, the bumper's back on the car. Oh, it doesn't have a bumper at all. (laughs) But in this, that follows all the way through the entire chase up to the point where the truck runs out of or Willow runs out of juice and the police car (sighs) drives off into the distance and the bumper falls off as it's driving away. I don't know. I was impressed that they managed to pull that off. So yeah, golf well, clap for the, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Very good. Uh, good okay. for them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let's talk about serious stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it shows. You know, they really they put a lot into this finale, and they didn't have a lot to put in. I mean, special effects, car chases, and stuff. It's expensive, so good for them for following up on those details. Yeah, actually, both of these episodes have at least one sort of, I I guess you'd call it a special effects sequence um, that are actually, damn it, they might both be in this one. Hang on, I have to look at my, is is the transition from Rack's place to the magic box, that's in this one, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm just talking about this episode. I'm not even thinking of Grave. So yeah, there are two moments in, in Two to Go that, I was particularly fond of one is the whole truck chase sequence because we've already seen the show attempt to have uh, characters performing while riding on top of a moving vehicle um, with mm-hmm. the whole Knights of Byzantium thing, which was right. not, not, not great, Bob. Um, 
but there's just something that I thought was really cool about Willow standing on top of the cab of this truck, uh, telekinetically driving it while the drive, while the actual driver is trying to wrest control on the steering wheel. Um, mm-hmm. Again, that was one of those moments where I thought about, you know, this is Willow using what she can do, which is basically telekinesis, the telekinesis at this moment, using it to its advantage, just like pulling the bricks out of the wall of the jail cell. That was another thing yeah. that I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, in the second scene, which we can talk about in detail or wait till we get to it, but is the transition from Rack's place to the to the magic mm-hmm. box. That was like an, I'm pretty sure that was an in-camera effect. And it was, okay. it was one of the better sort of effects shots that the series I think has ever pulled off. Nice. It was very effective, I thought. I mean, it, it gave a sense of, okay. Also, because of the setup that they'd given earlier, she can only fly. She can't teleport. And now we see, oh, well, now she can't teleport. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because she's advancing. Yeah. Because even now as we she's, speak. she's gotten an extra little kick by finishing off the last of her drugs, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. But um, a lot happens in this episode. A yeah, lot. I'm amazed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. So let's talk about the jail scene um yeah talking about andrew being evil (laughs) i mean his his contention he keeps saying we didn't do anything here we didn't do anything we don't deserve to be in jail we don't you know why is someone trying to kill us i that's so i mean i i hate to pull this card so early on but it's all you know that we were just following orders it's the yeah yeah um, that that kind of evil it's oh we're no we're just victims exactly, exactly. yes oh, but very... this is where Jonathan really comes through here where he turns on him and tells him this great this great Jonathan speech he says we did we signed on we teamed up we wanted to see where our plans would take us which is just exactly what they were their, their first scene in the season right is exactly that yeah and hey, you here guys, it is you guys want to be super villains okay yeah um they think it's just going to be cool well it's not yeah we've been getting little hints uh in recent episodes that you know jonathan was starting to have second thoughts about all this uh, oh yeah including the episode where i was like even though i knew it didn't happen i in my heart i was like oh come on this is the moment where jonathan turns on them and goes to help the scoobies um, so it's been building for a little while, but this is this is the moment where he finally just admits on camera that, um, yeah, we are we deserve this because we were playing along like we Andrew. I guess what Andrew was trying to say is we didn't actually kill her. We, you know, we didn't. <laughs> we're not the ones that killed anybody. Um, that was all Warren, uh, whom I secretly love. Uh, but. But Jonathan was saying, no, no, we were there. We knew it was happening, and we kept we kept going along with it. Yeah. we They were going along with it, and they were willing to profit and wanting to profit by it, whatever the plan was. Yeah. So, yeah, they were accessories at best, if not actual um, co-conspirators or whatever you want to call them. So. Right. 
Um, so yeah, in that scene, we also get to see. Um, I, I I really liked Anya's uh, sort of straightforward bad things are coming and you can't deal with them attitude when she popped up in the jail. Uh Um, I don't know. It just, I I liked that moment where we, Anya is back with the group sort of, I mean, she's still upset about everything and she's just kind of been pulled back into this situation, but she's obviously doing what she can to help. Right. And yeah, I I just like the casual way that she was, uh, explaining your doom is imminent. You have to let these kids out of jail right now. <laughs> um, and the way the Sunnydale police continue to be completely clueless, oblivious. Yeah. To yeah, they just can't. It's like they have some kind of mental block that will not allow them to comprehend anything supernatural. Right. Um. What else do we get in that? The cool scene of the jail cell the wall being pulled down um Mm -hmm. we find out that buffy can bend prison bars (laughs) if need be if need be which was pretty cool i mean i i guess technically we didn't see her do that it could have been jonathan you never know but uh yeah no yes i'm I'm sure it was no it was um what else did we get there i guess we can well let's talk about Let's talk about Clem. I want to talk about Clem. Oh, Clem. Let's talk about how precious, precious oh. uh, my dear boy is. Um, his, his Doritos taste. Doesn't best. like, yeah, doesn't like the texture of Doritos. It's too gritty. Um, that goes on the list of the, the, I guess it's not even really a little touch, um, but one of the things I particularly appreciated in this episode was Clem's makeup and prosthetic teeth. Like especially uh-huh. his teeth in this in this episode, uh-huh. the makeup's always been been cute and adorable with the floppy ears that apparently uh, Rack doesn't have a thing for. Uh, but like we, he had a lot more spoken dialogue I think in this episode than he has in in most of his appearances, and yeah, the camera was really on him a little more. And I don't know, I just got to appreciate the little touch of hit the the fangs on his bottom teeth that I don't know how they prosthetically fit in his mouth, but like they were, Mm. they weren't caps on regular teeth. They were in front of his lower teeth. So I don't know. It was weird, but it was very effective. I, I, I was looking and it didn't look like he had a mouthpiece in. So, Oh, well, you know, I don't often take a lot of notice of that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're right. It didn't, it didn't strike me as, really awkward so it must have must have been effective the only thing the only thing about those teeth that's ever seemed awkward was when he put a one of the doritos into his mouth oh yeah and he obviously (laughs) couldn't chew with those teeth so he put it in his mouth and he just kind of i guess he just sucked on it or something but (laughs) that was the only moment i as someone who uh had a very, very, very brief goth phase in his youth <laughs> and had, and actually had professionally made prosthetic vampire fangs. Um, I recognize what it's like to uh, uh. not be able to chew food while you've got those prosthetics <laughs> in. So, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at your youthful goth phase. No, no, um. no. It was, it was ridiculous, <laughs> but. Uh, all right. Oh, you know what? I like though this, 
this is this is an episode in which a lot happens and the transitions are great mm-hmm. to help move things along. And I just noticed because of my notes here, Clem is having a Doritos taste test and it immediately transitions to Spike actually having actual tests. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> um, was that? Did they transition to Spike before or after Don said, "I need a demon to help me"? Spike would have. Yes, it was after. Oh, okay, I guess that was yeah. probably the Spike transition. Right. Um, I, you know, I in in all the times that I've watched various episodes of Buffy. I must have seen this episode more than just on its original viewing. And, and certainly I've been around uh, you super smart Whedon Studies Association people uh, long enough that I should have known this, but it felt like this was the first time I noticed Spike saying the line, here we are now, entertain us. Which... I wrote it down so... I'm sure I heard it before, but it really stood out to me this time. Yeah, yeah. Which, which of course is from uh, Nirvana. Um, yeah. Smells like teen spirit. But for some reason, I don't ever remember acknowledging that before. So when it happened, I was like, are you kidding me? Spike just quoted Nirvana? That's awesome. <laughs> I love Spike. Yeah. It seemed like a really typical thing for him to do, though. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the tests that he's undergoing? Um, you know, I, I got the impression the way he played it, uh, that he, and maybe it was the way it was written too, that he did not expect the test to be what it was, you know, big hulking guy comes out and he says, okay, I can fight this guy. And then he has fire for fists and whoa, that was more than he bargained for. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like he wasn't expecting that. Um. Yeah, I don't know what sort of tests he was expecting or we as an audience were expecting. Um, Like, I I couldn't remember if this was one of the tests or not, but when that big muscle-bound guy first showed up, obviously, like, Spike didn't know, and I had forgotten that his hands caught on fire, but when he first came out, I was thinking, oh, is this a regular human? Like, is that the test that he has to fight through the chip in order to beat the hell out of this guy? But obviously he wasn't a regular human, so that never mattered. And it didn't seem like that was ever one of his tests. Fighting a human. Yeah, fighting someone that no. uh, would activate the chip. But it is... Which I guess is are... just... Go ahead. Uh, that's just another way of letting us know that the demon is not... Like, he's he doesn't think what's going on here is to get rid of the chip. He he ah. He apparently knows from the beginning, or believes from the beginning, that this is all about returning Spike's soul, even if that... That is such a good point. It did not occur to me. Yeah. Um, what occurred to me, though, is that it's it's a fight to the death. Mm-hmm. So whatever he, uh, whatever test it is, it has to be one that risks his death. So right. the fire makes sense from that perspective. Yeah. Hey, here's a random question. How familiar with Angel are you? Well, I've watched it a few times. Okay. <laughs> Am I the only one that thought that the cave demon, like we only ever see him in silhouette. I don't think we ever see, like we ever get a, a good look at him in the light. He's always in shadow, but right. 
he looked so much like um oh lord and i just forgot that guy's name uh oh why can't i can't believe i just forgot is it is it skip is that his name oh. skip the demon yes the one that gives cordelia yeah her powers yeah that or yeah Angel. yeah um well, I can see the similarity, but as you say, we only ever see this cave demon's sort of... We don't even see a real outline of him, do we? Just I just... Some glowing eyes. Yeah, basically. we see glowing eyes, and, and I think there are a couple shots where we see, like... I think one of the shots showed there was some big thing coming up from his shoulder and maybe going to the top of his mm -hmm. head. And, and I don't remember exactly what Skip looks like, but my thought was, oh my god, is that Skip? And uh, I didn't know if that huh. had ever, I didn't remember that being a thing in Angel. Like, I didn't remember them ever saying, oh, yeah, I gave Spike back his soul or whatever. But yeah, um, I don't, that is not mentioned. In, okay. Skip never mentions that. Um, and he, I don't get the impression that he ever spent time in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I, the, Skip doesn't seem like the kind of guy that hung out in caves in Africa a lot. But anyways. I, it would be interesting if that was, if they were saying that that would be quite a storyline. Someone, someone will write some fanfic about how they're all, it's, it's a race of power granting demons that all look the same. And maybe Skip yes. went out on his own on a, <laughs> uh, what, what is that? Rosh Hashanah? Is that what it's called? When, uh, no, that's a Jewish holiday. Oh, okay. What is, uh, Rumspringer? I'm just going to keep throwing yes. words. Okay, that's when, that's when uh, like, Amish kids get a yes. year to live in the real world or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so ignorant and white, I'm sorry. <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. <laughs> um, what, what have you got? What other, what other notes okay, have you got? Okay, um, speaking of uh, connections between things... Um, the discovery in the, when they get to the magic box get, transition back to the magic box um, where they, they were going to see if they could do some spells to block Willow but there's no magic books because mm -hmm. Willow took everything um, Anya has been able to figure out where Willow was going because she was fueled by vengeance right. but now she's gone beyond that so Anya can't sense her anymore and I thought that was an interesting connection Yeah, that, that Anya can sense vengeance oh of course she can that, that's why another I didn't write that down but that's another example of this episode trying to establish like a set of rules like, yeah. things work in a certain way <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not just we're not totally flying by the seat of our pants here. Right. Well, they are, but they don't want us to think they are. <laughs> but no, that was, are, a, but... that was that was a great little touch and a great line that she got to say. Um, the the uh, during that transition, when when they're shifting from Rack's place to the magic box, um, Willow's got a great delivery. First of all, Willow has never been scarier than at Rack's place when she's creeping on Dawn, like when she's, when she's backing Dawn into the, into the corner and, and like saying hurtful things and seemingly threatening her. The, the... Yeah. And, and when she, uh, attacks, 
um, Buffy in the same just before that transition as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Willow has been so close to both of them that she knows exactly where their weak weak spots are. Yeah, and that's um, it's it's kind of long, but it was a great little uh, ugly speech that Willow gives to to Buffy when she's saying, you know, you're trying to sell, <clears throat> you're trying to sell me on the world. Um, yeah. The one where you lie to your friends when you're not trying to kill them and you screw a vampire just to feel and mm-hmm. insane asylums that are the comfy alternative. Um, uh, you know, I know you were happier when you were in the ground. The only time you yeah. were ever at peace in your whole life is when you were dead. It's just terrible stuff. That is awful, terrible <laughs> stuff. It is terrible. It's so harsh. Um, and she's, talking about herself in the third person here until willow brought you back you right. know with magic right it's like mm. she's and trying we, to but this is exactly what buffy has been saying about herself throughout the entire season oh i know <laughs> and and this is why everybody like this is what everybody's been well not everybody but this is what a lot of fans were saying about the entire season this is terrible why is Buffy's so sad. <laughs> um, why is Buffy doing this? And also what she says to Dawn. Same thing fa- a lot of fans are saying. Dawn is terrible. Get rid of Dawn. <laughs> I know. So I I adore Nikki, Nikki Stafford. You all know this. She was my very yeah. first guest on this show. I, 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 love, I, love, it. I, I love her. I love her. I love the world with her in it. <laughs> but in uh, when I was uh, reading her entry in... Um, bite me the unofficial guide to buffy the vampire slayer her entry on this um she she got to the moment where willow is is saying all that stuff to dawn god bless you nikki her thoughts (laughs) at least at the time were something along the lines of and finally someone speaks truth to dawn like finally someone tells dawn that she needs to stop whining and it's really been annoying this whole time and i was like oh nikki come on because a lot of people i know with her i I, I mean i'm not saying that yeah but it's uh it's very very cruel it's very harsh yeah yeah i just it was pretty pretty hardcore um yeah yeah, and then we get that um, amazing transition, which I think... I, so I said I thought it was in camera because I'm pretty sure it was just they had one side of the set done up to look like racks, and then they slowly panned the camera around and the other side of the set was the magic box. Um, but it was just done so masterfully. And the fact that it played out so slow and you mm-hmm. almost... It was so subtle. The transition was so subtle that you almost didn't even realize it was happening. Um it was man it was beautiful yeah it was a beautiful there was a real they put a real um low-key whoosh oh yeah (laughs) under it right so it was so subtle that you almost didn't hear it yeah and then so yeah it was it was very good in a lot of ways um of course then we get to see the magic box get torn apart uh yeah (laughs) which i all i could keep thinking was um because there there have been fights inside the magic box before and i'm pretty sure the fights that take place in the magic box have always been limited to characters throw some punches and some kicks and one time you get to see somebody get thrown into a display case (laughs) like that's the damage that the magic (laughs) box always sustains is like one 
one display case gets shattered and stuff knocked on the floor. Or a window, get, the front window. Or, or the window gets broken, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this one, we just get display case after display case after display case knocked down or, you know, shattered and... and uh, yeah. And the counter gets shattered and beams are falling out of the ceiling. I was like, oh, okay, we're going all the way this time. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And it, get, and it gets worse in the next episode. And it gets worse in the next episode. Um, so. I have I have a transition to take us to the next episode, but... Okay, but let me ask you one question. Okay. I mean, while this um, disaster is happening, um, this confrontation between willow and buffy where willow says um this is a huge deal for me six years as a sideman now i get to be the slayer yeah great line um buffy says a killer isn't a slayer um do you think is there some part of uh, good willow shall i say that really feels this that this sense of competition and jealousy and envy. Mm, I, yes, I, I think so. Um, because like we've been talking and by we, I mean you and me and many of the guests that have uh, joined <laughs> me on this podcast, uh, have talked before about how the development of Willow, um, seems like a long like a slow burn and it feels like in hindsight it feels like stuff was set up pretty early on that eventually pays off in where she is now um and i can't think of any exact moments i can't think of specific examples right now of her being jealous of her friends but i feel pretty sure that that has been at least hinted at before um yeah, I'm not sure when, but I certainly yeah. I should certainly feel like what's going on here is is even though she's not actually being possessed by a demon or whatever, right. like this is just her. Uh I feel like it's the same thing as when we see, you know, a demon or a a sorcerer or whatever take advantage of somebody's insecurities. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Willow is disassociating uh, herself from this and referring to Willow in the third person, like she's not Willow. Willow was the weak one or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't know how much of this, I think it's probably a combination of, uh, this is really Willow, like lo- literally losing control, um, mm-hmm. and, and disassociating. Right. Um, but there, I think there's probably also a part of her that just wants to do that. Like she's consciously, she feels these things and she is emotionally out of control, but she knows what she's doing and she's really trying to tell herself, you know, this isn't me. Yeah. I think that's, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I, now I don't know if this is part of what you wanted to, I just have to say this, point out this one other thing that Willow says, which I think is a, a preview of season seven. I mean, we know that they, uh, that Joss and the writers, producers, whatever, they knew they were going to have two full seasons. Uh-huh. So I think there's kind of a preview of season seven in Willow saying to Buffy, I got to tell you, I get it now. The Slayer thing really isn't about the violence. It's about the power. Oh, right. Yeah. 
and that line comes up repeatedly in season seven. It's the beginning of season seven. It goes throughout. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Which yeah, makes you wonder, like, is something about what's going on with Willow? Does it have something to do with the first evil? Maybe mm-hmm. in some sense. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I, I don't remember season seven enough, well enough to, to know if that's ever even suggested, but um, they, it's probably not. Because I think they really tried no. in season seven to imply that Willow needs to, those were her actions and she needs to make amends yeah. for what she did. Yeah. Um, no, my transition was going to be uh, two, two of my favorite line deliveries from the entire series. Now this Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a show that has all sorts of great lines, <laughs> many of them spikes. But uh, this episode, this episode gives me two of my favorites, uh, and one of them is Willow. And regular listeners and long-suffering guests like Elizabeth Rambo uh, will know that I'm <laughs> you. I'm very often not the biggest fan of Buffy Summers, <laughs> um, so Willow's line. Oh, Buffy, you really need to have every square inch of your ass kicked. <laughs> Was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I apologize effusively, but that was a fist pump moment for me. That was Willow speaking truth to power Rosenberg <laughs> getting into my head right there. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people after after this this whole season six, when a lot of people felt, oh, you know, Buffy, get it together. <laughs> a lot of people sympathized with Willow. So, uh, for I many mean, reasons. It just so happens that these final two episodes uh, are not among the episodes where I re- where I roll my eyes at Willow or uh, at Buffy. Like I, I don't remember her doing anything in these episodes that makes me go, oh, Buffy, why? But um, generally speaking, that's how I feel. And so I was very happy to hear that line. And that's another thing that I, I have pondered whether like how much of that was was you know willow our willow the the one that uh <laughs> jonathan describes as uh um you know she used to she packed her own lunches and wore floods and was always just you know willow like how much of that line is is that willow and how much of it is this new perverted willow but... well I, I i would i think it's the same willow who would say you know a slayer she would tell Dawn that she needs to go back to being a, right. a ball of energy. And, yeah. But yeah. Still. Um, okay. And then the second line, which has to be, has to be, make everybody's list of favorite lines from over the course of the show. And we'll use this to transition into the, the next episode is the, Oh, thank God return of Giles. As he says, I'd yes. like to test that theory. Oh, what a wonderful, glorious moment that is. Yes. Now, just imagine if this had not been a two-episode event and they had made people wait a week or more, because Buffy often took several-week breaks. Yeah. Uh, just imagine that that was you had to wait a week or more to find out what happened there. Oh, yeah. That would be very hard. I also noticed, though, that they... Uh... They saved his credit for the end. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They really tried hard. Yeah. Didn't want to give that one away. Not to spoil that one. Yeah. Um, 
okay, so let's move into Grave, which is uh, written by David Fury. I should I should have mentioned that I, as far as I'm, as far as I know, these are the only season finales not written and or directed by Joss. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the so two to go was written by uh, Doug Petrie, and directed by Bill Norton. And then mm-hmm. Grave is written by David Fury and directed by James A. Conner. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, interesting. It may be something we should talk about if this felt like something done by other creators or if the well, Joss flavor was, was captured. I Let's see. I have some notes that I took on the commentary because I have the DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, the commentary for this uh, last episode... Um, which was by the writer and director. So, um, and they said that Joss planned the Dark Willow arc in season five. Okay. Um, they had thought about having Buffy fight the dragon from five twenty two from um, uh, the gift. <laughs> you know how there's a giant dragon that comes out of the hell world. Yeah. Um, but it was too expensive. <laughs> um, so that's why they, I think that's why the evil Willow thing came up. Um, there are a couple of things where they noted that um, Joss had rewritten certain uh, passages. Okay. Yeah. Um, the we're getting a little ahead of ourselves but for instance um, Buffy and Dawn their final scene together it had to be Joss said it had to be in a pit or a grave in order to bookend the effect from episodes one and two where Buffy comes out of a grave is that excuse me was that a change that he had to come in and make or was that yeah it was so, initially written in um, a sewer. They were escaping in the, the sewers, uh, and it uh. wasn't working. And Joss said, no, it has to be in the grave. Um, he also planned that uh, in se- season five that Xander would be the one to save Dark Willow by being, by being the ordinary guy, okay. by being the one without powers. Well, I mean, so even though it wasn't written and directed by him, he did sort of plan the basic outline. And do you, do you remember? Because I don't. I I remember that Joss was not. <clears throat> I'm sorry to listeners who wonder why I sound weird. I just had a massive coughing fit and thought I was going to die. So hopefully I've edited out that and you didn't hear my near death experience. But I'm still suffering, <laughs> so <clears throat> I apologize. But. Um, did, do you remember why Joss was not as involved in season six? Is this when he was off doing Firefly? or? Yeah, he was doing Firefly okay. and, uh, you know, producing Angel, too. So Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he was. He, this is during the period that he had three shows going. It was, he had a lot. Right, yeah, <laughs> okay. So, but he was still, <clears throat> he was still in the background and approving scripts yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he was still approving scripts. Okay. Um, it's interesting about that, that he had to come in and change after the fact. Uh, he he did that thing. all the time, though. 
I mean, well, it's just it, that it, it all the writers talk about him coming in and changing, uh, changing lines, rewriting whole scenes, things like that. Yeah, but it just, I mean, we'll talk more about this when we get to the actual end of this episode. But the fact that it ends with her crawling out of the grave, just like the season opened, like, I mean, that just, that played like literally the whole season had been built around that. So it's, it's fascinating I that someone had written a script for the finale that didn't include that. I, so I agree. I'm surprised they didn't think of it themselves, but yeah. it's all right. I mean, it's David Fury. He's a hack anyways. But hey. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> okay, man. Hopefully I will survive till the end of this podcast, but let's, I hope so. let's talk. I have tears streaming down my face. Oh, God. I, <laughs> I, I know what that's like. Oh. I'm really sorry. Man, my cat is sitting here, and even she was worried. Oh, uh, okay, so... Um, Let's see. I'm looking over my notes. Uh oh, Daddy's home. I'm in wicked trouble now. Uh, so I wanted to ask you um, if you if you noticed and what you think about the fact that at least at the very beginning of this episode, like when she delivers the line, "Uh oh, Daddy's home. I'm in wicked trouble now," and then for a little while after that, as she's engaging with uh, with Giles, I thought that her voice changed uh, just the slightest bit when she was talking to Giles she sounded a little bit younger like we just got in the previous episode we just got all of these wonderful moments of her being sinister and threatening particularly with Dawn and Buffy and she never really sounded like the the innocent like season one <laughs> Willow when she delivered any of that stuff but here she sounds just a little bit younger maybe a little more childlike um, because of the return of like the father figure to the show. I don't know. Did I imagine that or did you notice it? I, I recognize what you're talking about. Um, and I think there is a change. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, except that what I wrote down here is that, um, she, I'm sort of have some notes on how sort of her her style or something when she says some of these lines that she's grinning unrepentantly. Mm -hmm. She's she says um, when Giles says you have to stop what you're doing and he is absolutely serious about that and she says oh sorry but you can tell she's not sorry right yeah. can't do that so it's kind of like you know what kind of um, it's like she's a middle school student that's been called into the principal's office or something. I mean, she she recognizes him as an authority figure, and she's trying to, but she's trying to give the impression that she doesn't care. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and she also thinks that he's not a threat. She thinks he's not a threat, so she thinks she can be snarky. Yeah, I. <laughs> It didn't last long, the sort of no. voice change that I, that I thought uh, I heard. And so I, I'm wondering now if that was, well, obviously I'm wondering if I'm just imagining it or reading too much into it. But No, I, I don't think you're imagining it. I think she sort of wants to give him the impression. I mean, I could explain it saying she's giving him the impression that, oh, I'm just being, 
I don't have as much power as you. Okay, so you you read that as a deliberate thing on Willow's part. Yeah, okay. I could see, I could see it that way. Like I I'm was... just being um, I'm being insubordinate. <laughs> But, well, that certainly that certainly does come about like when she's when she starts snarking back at him, like when he she tries to stand up and he says, no, stay down or whatever, like that catches her off guard. And I think she does start uh, play, deliberately being impertinent or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, I read it one of two ways or I, I wanted to read it one of two ways. Either it was a subconscious thing, either it really was there and it was a deliber deliberate choice that either the writers or the actress, uh, yeah. Alison Hannigan, made uh, to just very briefly go back to the innocent child because, uh oh, daddy's home. Um, or if it was an unconscious thing that Alison Hannigan did and she didn't even realize she was doing it, but just for the first couple of shots with uh with anthony stewart head she kind of revert you know reverted back to the voice she used when she talked to him before but oh okay yeah i don't think she was really trying to give the impression that it was innocent but rather that she was being just a childish but rude right yeah yeah um <clears throat> So that's why the daddy's home thing. Right. But yeah. yeah, she she almost once she realizes that he's actually going to um, impose his will on her in some way, then she starts attacking for real. Yeah. Um, okay. I I shockingly don't have a lot of <laughs> notes about this episode, <laughs> so uh, you can take the lead and and we can talk about what you've got here. Okay. Well, I mean, what, so one example of that is that, you know, once he uh, immobilizes her, mm -hmm. he, yeah, it's like, oh, I have a note here that she goes into a deeper voice when she says, you called me a rank, arrogant amateur. Well, buckle up, Rupert, because I've turned pro. Right. Yeah. Uh, she calls him by his first name. Uh-huh. As if they're equals. Uh-huh. And yeah, she's she definitely lowers her voice when she says, "Cause I've turned pro." That first name thing is a weird. Uh, like I, I want a language specialist to talk to me about this, um, because normally I feel like using someone's first name uh, is a sign of like being close or intimate or friendly or whatever. Yes. Uh, but the way it's used here um, is very petulant and uh, dismissive and insulting. Like she uses his first name. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. She did that because it's as if she's addressing him as an equal. Um, but yeah, it just seemed very dismissive. Like it, it was, I don't know, it was intentionally rude of her to call him by his first name. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's the same. I don't know if you've ever, for instance, for me, it would be, and I eventually can get past this with some people, but there are professors that I had in college or, or in graduate school that I'm still going to call either by their last name or yeah. doctor last name. 
Right. And yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> it would, it would take. Um, I would have to just get on a much different <laughs> footing with them before I would be calling them by their first name. Right. Right. Even as I was starting my little my thought there, as I was saying, isn't it usually like a sign of intimacy or friendship? Even as I was saying that, I was like, oh, actually, it's kind of disrespectful. Like, to show respect, you should call someone by their last name. But anyways, um, it, it was it was a great delivery by Alison Hannigan. As she, She's so fantastic in everything she does, but I particularly love it when she gets to unleash, when she gets to, like, <laughs> like everybody loved Vamp Willow because she got to stop being, you know inhibited and, <laughs> yeah. and shy or whatever. And uh, this is kind of the same thing. Like she's not nearly as adorable as Vamp Willow, but uh, it's just cool to see Allison Hannigan did get to show a different side. Yeah. Uh, we did see a hint of, there was a little Vamp Willow moment at some point where she says that drop that board now. Line. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, so we find out well the other thing that I love in this this episode is the Giles Buffy reunion reunion mm -hmm. um, I will never forget the moment when I first saw this and Buffy confesses everything that's been going on the things that she's just agonized over right ending up with I've been sleeping with Spike yeah. She's just agonized over that. And Giles stares at her for a minute and then he cracks up laughing. Yeah. And it's just that's the greatest moment. Because really it's like, come on, Buffy. Just get over it's, <laughs> it's not that bad. Yes, yes. Okay. Good. So <clears throat> I know that different viewers have a different read on what that <laughs> uh, on what that all meant and um, I can see several different possibilities in it, but um, so your read on it was, and I agree with this, your read on it is that he's like um, kind of laughing at how ridiculous, like they are literally facing the end of the world now. <clears throat> and the fact that she's all upset because she has to work in a fast food restaurant or she's having sex with Spike is just patently ridiculous to him. It's just like, <clears throat> there's how many, how much, it's so bad that it's so many bad things that it's funny. It's like, it's like one of those things that are so bad. It's good. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's almost as if he realizes look, just, you need to stop taking yourself so seriously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I know there were, <clears throat> there was a certain contingent of the fandom that was upset by that because they really thought that was another meta commentary. And look, I'm not one to jump down people's throats for reading meta commentary into <laughs> what the writers are doing with the show, obviously. Yeah. But um, in this case, I don't necessarily agree that it's the, it's the writers directly mocking their own show. I feel like it was intentional. I feel like the writers <clears throat> are self-aware and meta enough that in part, yes, they were sort of laughing at how crazy and over the top this season has been. I don't think they were doing it in a disrespectful way. No, not at all. Um, I think there's there's sometimes when 
that's just the only. I mean, you you can't cry all the time. You know, sometimes you <laughs> right. have to. Yeah. <clears throat> you. Yeah. Um, um, and also, just from a story structure point of view. Uh, this has been a dark season and these are two very yeah. dark episodes. This is a dark ending. Um, yeah. And they, you need a laugh to break up that tension every once in a while. Yeah. Um, it breaks the tension. Yeah. Um, so. But I, Buffy, I love the fact. Well, and Buffy does have a tendency to take herself too seriously. Yes, absolutely. So, um, which is probably one reason why is you said she, there's, you know, people sometimes feel that she needs her ass kicked, but for her to just crack up here, she also needs that. Just yeah. don't take yourself so seriously, Buffy. Right. <laughs> now, I can't remember enough about uh, what Giles is like. Oh, man. So I had a coughing fit and almost died. And now, <clears throat> now Ember wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, I'm sure I, she'll probably improve it. <laughs> I... I can't remember enough about season seven to remember how Giles feels about this then, but I appreciate the fact that the laughing fit broke out when she said, you know, and I'm, I've been sleeping with Spike or whatever, because, um, you, if you were really desperate for approval the way I am, you could read that as that's just the last straw. And, and Giles is like, kind of finally looking at Buffy as, as an adult and that she's not a teenager anymore that he needs to, uh, you know, talk to about her choices for her personal life or whatever. Like mm -hmm. he's not, he doesn't immediately say, Oh, Buffy, what are you doing? Or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, it's not my business who you're sleeping with. And, right. and, you know, it's ridiculous that you're so worried about that. Yeah, I think that's part of what's going on here. He's still laughing, and they're both still laughing when she tells him about the uh, um, the demon that made her think she should kill her friends. Right. Yeah. Put duct tape on their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I I think reinforces my theory about <laughs> whether that was whether the asylum reality. Oh, is, gotcha. Is real. Gotcha. That's the that's that's another. Uh, another pin in the theory or another nail in the coffin for normal again was the truth. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my humble opinion. Okay. That's fair. I noticed that nobody ever cites this, <laughs> this scene when they argue that it's, yeah. the asylum is real. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So we get the, we get the, um, atypical reunion between, yeah. Buffy and Giles. But it's it's very important though because yeah. supposedly the theme of this whole season is grow up. Yeah. And Buffy says we're all just stupid and Giles' response is sometimes the most adult thing you can do is just ask for help when you need it. Right. Buffy says, "Oh, now you tell me." Yeah. Now, you know, on a meta level, wouldn't have they could have called Giles, but it wouldn't have helped because Anthony Stewart head was in England and wasn't coming back. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. Um, that's still a good 
little moral for the story. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Giles' little trick that he pulls here. So it's great. Um, yeah. The so he plays the uh, the Trojan horse trick, the the magic Trojan horse or the Trojan magic horse. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, yeah, whatever it is. I, it's. It is, of course, a trope at this point. I mean, it plays alongside all the other, like all the sci-fi movies that have, they have to defeat the alien ship or the artificial intelligence by uploading a virus into it or whatever. I mean, this kind of thing has obviously been done uh, for hundreds of years. But True. But uh, I thought it was, I thought it was introduced here in a subtle enough way. Like, I, I don't think you could have seen that coming that he was doing right. it that way. Um, well, and it almost backfires. Right. I mean, well, and Anya calls him out for what she thinks. I mean, she says, you know, it's so great to have you back. Thank you for coming back. I mean, you know, it wasn't so good that you gave her the magic that makes her 10 times more powerful and everything. That that wasn't necessary, but... Um, well, it makes her 10 times more powerful, but it makes her... She says she doesn't have any feelings anymore and no one can hurt her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he gives her access to all the emotions and her response is, oh, I must stop people from feeling this pain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, it did backfire, but of course it ultimately paid off. Yeah. What he did. Um, but... <clears throat> As I've said before, I don't always remember how I felt watching these things originally, um, but I do remember watching this the first time around and thinking, oh, oh my God, did they really bring Giles back just to kill him? Uh, yeah. Like, I yeah, remember that... genuinely being convinced, oh, that's it. They just killed off Giles. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been a possibility, too. It's the yeah. last season. Yeah. Or, no, it wasn't the last season, though. I mean, but they could have. Yeah, they they absolutely Ooh. could have, which I suppose, like, I'm one of the people that frequently, I mean, now I'm past the point of being pissed off about it, and now I just roll my eyes at it. But the, the trope of Joss Whedon can't have happy couples, like, the happiness cannot exist in a Joss Whedon production. Yeah. Everybody has to suffer, and any, any romantic feelings will be, <laughs> will cost you, ultimately. Like, that's a trope that I just am bored by at this point, but... It does, I hate to grant it any semblance of legitimacy, but it absolutely does bring you to the point where after six seasons of that, you could fully believe, oh yeah, they brought one of our favorite characters back just to literally kill him off right now. Yeah. So. Fortunately, they I'm didn't glad. I'm glad they didn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what else is going on here? Um, let's see. Oh, uh, well, okay. So, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe the plan was to have, to hope Xander would, no, I don't see how they could have planned for Xander to, it's almost like Giles hadn't thought, they haven't thought all the way through. Giles says no magic or supernatural force can stop her. How do they know that's? Yeah. Um, Xander will step in. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point because my thought had been that Giles's plan was he knew she was going to drain this power and he knew that this power would open her up to the the feelings of the entire world and that that 
and that that would break her free of this spell like that would shock her awake or whatever yeah and that the backfire that happened is she she just took that awareness and doubled down and was like oh well i guess i don't need to like just kill my friends because i'm hurting i need to kill everybody to save them from the pain yeah um but you're right he does say no spell or magic force um and since what he did was a spell or a magic force did that mean he knew that wasn't going to be the end of it it seems like it um so was he counting on xander the whole time it's hard to say Hmm. Interesting. Hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, um. I want to ask, uh, you know, I have my windmills that I tilt at on this podcast. <laughs> and one of them is the continued emphasis on the taking of a human life. Oh, yes. That comes up several times. Yeah. So uh, a significant portion of my of the issue that I take with this this deal on Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my own personal attitude has changed over the years. I'm in a different place, blah, blah, blah. My personal philosophy is interfering, but where I'm at is I'm uncomfortable how concrete this show gets that the taking of human life is the one true line that just can never, ever be crossed Mm. as if human life has cosmic importance over any other um, it it bugs me. <laughs> it bugs me that the show does that. Uh huh. Um, I also think the show treats it inconsistently, because uh, obviously Buffy has killed one human and never even commented on it. She hasn't had to do any sort of pay any sort of penance or anything. Uh, I think we discussed this last. We time did. We did. And said that there. <laughs> There did seem to be some distinction made between killing a human in self-defense, which is what's Buffy's case, if I recall. Yes, we talked about that. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent in on that, but okay. I, but I, get I still, it. I still think you have a. I still think there's a, a case to be made that it's not completely consistent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even even consistent or not it's still it grates on me and and the issue only gets muddied when you get into angel um because angel takes a i mean it's often described as buffy is the the high school college portion of life where you you are growing up and and learning what that means and then angel is like the adult and what it means okay now you're an adult now what (laughs) Um, so they're kind of taking a different look at some of the same issues, but Angel certainly does muddy the waters by introducing many more. I mean, on Buffy, you've got Clem and maybe a handful of other examples, but Angel introduces plenty of demons and otherworldly things that are, are treated as, yes, they have every right to exist and they have a soul too. And all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's almost like the the rules get, as you say, more complicated. There's the black and white is a lot grayer right. on Angel, um, which is how most people experience 
life as an adult. It's like, okay, I can't always have hard and fast rules. Yeah. I have to consider what are the circumstances, what is, you know, those kinds of things. So should I take issue? I've, I've already thought of a way out of this. So I'm just, okay. asking, I'm already asking, I'm asking rhetorically, <laughs> should I take issue? Should we take issue with the fact that uh, Giles is a full grown mature adult who technically should be, have reached the living in the shades of gray world that angel and his cast have. Uh, and yet he persists in uh, sort of, raise quote unquote raising Buffy and the other Scoobies with this idea that human life is sacred and you must never ever cross. And once you cross that line, you can't come back and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, when one is in, let's say adolescence, high school, college stage that where do we get that idea that there are rules that you should always keep? It's from your teachers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Giles is in that role. Yeah, and that that was the that was the loophole that I had already come yeah. up with is that yes, he's 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 living in that adolescent world right now. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. So I guess that's that's the best we can do as far as that goes. Yeah, I just um, I just wanted one more opportunity to voice my <laughs> complaint about uh, the sanctity of human life. I guess. But um, I, you know, I'm not going to say that there's any justification for going around randomly killing people. I mean, right. I'm definitely, definitely not going to go there. Right. Yeah. Um, agreed. So it's yeah, things are going to get complicated if there's a show where we say, oh yeah, we can just kill people because we want to. It's, yeah. Do you have any note? You know what I didn't take any notes on what? and I feel like we should talk about is the the stuff between Xander and Anya. Uh, yeah. Um, Which actually that might have mostly been last episode, but but we should talk about it because I feel like they had some good stuff. They did, and I made some notes about it. Um, there was the scene, and, and I apologize... I apologize because this is taking us back to two to go, but, um, okay. That's where it was. Yeah. Uh, there was a scene where they're in the magic shop and she's trying to decipher the book and he's, he's like leaning in and they, they have that whole, like he brings up her sleeping with spike again. He's, she says, I can't hurt you. Okay. I've, I've, you know, I've accepted oh, yeah, it. Yeah. I don't get to have my revenge. You got away with it, whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah. Because what does he say? Uh, polishing the table with spike or something like that it was really, really bad. yeah oof um he's like yeah because that wasn't the most hurtful thing ever and she like yells at him and yeah. points out you know that wasn't that wasn't vengeance that was solace and the, that finally seems to like sink in that finally seems to break through on xander and he looks like he's yeah he's hearing her for the first time and acknowledging maybe what that moment was i thought yeah. that was a good moment yeah, um, and actually, there's a lot part a lot of what Xander says. There's a lot of things Xander says throughout these two episodes that kind of sort of either foreshadow or take the focus off him. So there's it's more surprising when he steps in at the end. There, mm-hmm. um, this discussion between him and Anya in Two to Go. Um, 
where he confesses where Anya says none of this would be happening if it weren't for you like she says you caused this and he says you think I Xander says you think I don't know that you think I'm the hero of this piece well yeah actually he is going to be the hero Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I saw the gun before Warren raised it, I saw it and I couldn't move. You want me to know how useless I am? I already got the memo. So Xander's feeling like here and in some other, a couple other places, he says, I'm the ordinary guy. I have no power. I didn't do anything to stop Warren. I don't, I can't keep up with you people who have, can run fast or fly or teleport. I can't do anything. I, I wonder why I don't, I don't want to take us off this emotional rail that we're about to get on with the final <laughs> scene, but I, I do wonder, like, I know Xander has always been meant from the very beginning. He's supposed to be the everyman. He's supposed to be the, the, the normal talentless mm-hmm. guy in the group or whatever. But um, I wonder why the character of Xander never considered like Willow didn't know magic when the show started. She learned magic. Yeah. Like why? I wonder why Xander was never like, oh, I could learn the same stuff that Willow learned. Because he can't. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it several times. Like when he he opens a book and starts reading something out loud, and the book catches on fire. <laughs> yes. Don't read true. Latin in front of the book, Xander. In the Zeppo. Yeah. You know, he tries. He says, "I'll. I need a thing." Yeah. But he does end up. He ends up saving the day in that too, just by being himself right in a sense but he's not good at being cool except until he is yeah um okay i want to say one more negative xander thing (laughs) sure (laughs) and then we can get back to xander saving the world because i know that's where we're going but uh the one more opportunity to be negative about xander is again in two to go when they've got when it's him and Anya trying to read the book or whatever and they've got Jonathan and wait did I say I don't know what name I just dropped Xander and Anya are in the magic shop Jonathan and Andrew are over in the corner um what was it I think it's when Andrew says that terrific line oh my gosh I have to go back and find this I'm sure I wrote this down um She's a truck driving magic mama, and we've got a we've got maybe seconds before <laughs> Darth Rosenberg grinds everybody into Jawa burgers, and not one of you <laughs> bunch has the midi chlorians to stop her. So there's three Star Wars references in one sentence, which is glorious. Um, but Xander, th- this is this gets back into my whole. I'm annoyed. Once the Scooby Gang, who used to be the outsiders, have now become the insiders, and don't let anybody else in their group. Uh, Xander of all people has the balls to say you've never had even a little bit of sex have you yeah that was really harsh like that is I mean those guys are him and it really annoys me when he doesn't recognize that because the only reason he he's able to even say that is because he recognized all those references (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and in one of the one of the recent episodes he recognized they had written a note in Klingon and he was like oh that's and yeah, anyways, yeah. so boo on you, Xander, but let's jump back <laughs> to him but saving the world. That's that's sort of the, that is the negative side of Xander, is that he, when he sees 
himself, that kind of self-hatred causes him to lash out. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just acknowledging it. I mean, it's not unrealistic. I'm sure there are not at all countless examples of, of people that do that. But I mean, I probably do that. <laughs> I shouldn't talk, but anyways, <sighs> so yes, let's get back to the really sweet emotional stuff. Um, <sighs> I sh I should throw an apology out to my good friend, Arlo Wiley, um, whom I've cursed many times on this podcast since this podcast was his damn idea <laughs> in the first place. Uh, I want to shout out to him because, uh, he could have been on this episode. He could have joined this, joined us for this confrontation because he, a conversation, not confrontation. It would have been a conf confrontation if he was here. Um, he's told me many times over the years that like the, the yellow crayon speech is one of his favorite moments from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay. I'm, if you could see me, Arlo, I'm shaking my fist. Why? Why? <laughs> well, to be fair, I didn't know until late last night that James <laughs> wasn't going to be joining us, but, uh, Anyways, uh, just think of it as another piece of your penance, Arlo, for making me do this podcast and then bailing. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to get us into the yellow crayon speech. So I, I love it, too, to okay. tell you the truth. OK. Yeah. Um, I had a different emotional reaction to the end of this episode than I typically have. Like I used to. I love the yellow crayon speech. I love that moment. Even though Xander's not my favorite character, I love that he gets that he and Willow get to share that scene and that yeah. the thing, you know, he brings it down the way he does. It's particularly poignant because this season we haven't gotten a lot of Willow and Xander stuff. No. Like they've been, you know, they've each had their own couple issues to deal with. There just hasn't been a lot of bonding time for the two of them together. And it was, right. it's good that this reminds us that they were friends long before Buffy ever came into the picture. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's just really sweet. It is. It is. And they're, I think this is the side of Xander that I think makes him a character that I appreciate even with all his weaknesses and failures, which we've seen in this season, along with all the other characters, mm -hmm. um, somewhere down deep in him, he does the faith that he has in his friends is, um, is really important to the group and to them. So how did you how do you emotionally respond to that yellow crayon speech? Um I think it's it's great because it just it's something it it reaches Willow you know his reiteration that he loves her in a a way that doesn't want anything from her. Mm -hmm. You know, it reaches her in a way that um nothing else has he's not in competition with her he's not trying to take anything from her they're um, they're past any romantic feelings yeah which remind me has that i know it was for a long time it was willow pining after xander um 
in season one. Yeah. In season one. And then there was, and then there was a, I think there was in season two, there was a, um, they had a, a brief fling, you know, yeah. Yeah. When each of them was supposedly dating someone else. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And that led to bad things. Or was yeah. it season? I don't yeah. remember. Season three. It was in season three, sorry. That it's what led to the wish. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they've so the they've each harbored feelings for the other at one point or another and now they've they've grown but past that to where they've they're... grown past long past that. Yeah. You know, they have a history and primarily it's a history of friendship. Yeah. Um, so the emotional reaction to it this time, um, what I meant is like the tears didn't come until a later scene. Like usually this mm-hmm. is the moment that kind of chokes me up, but for whatever reason, I didn't choke up this time. Um, the part of this speech that hit me the hardest actually, um, and it's usually been the yellow crayon part before, but this time around it was him asserting uh, at the end that, you know, if if you're going to destroy the world, start with me. I've earned that. And for some yeah. reason, his assertion that he's earned it after all this to be the first one that she has to go through. I don't know. That struck me as particularly poignant this time around. Yeah, I wrote that down. In fact, it's something that really struck me. Um and of course, this gives Allison Hannigan another opportunity to have a breakdown on camera. Oh, which is, she's she's good at it. Though. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, um, but I also the, the scene between Buffy and Dawn also. That's the one. Got me. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one that got me this time. <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. What got you about it? Why? What about that scene? Well. You? Uh, she apologized her. Uh, I like the way she starts crying when she realizes the world isn't going to end. And Dawn says, "You're crying. What you wish the world had ended?" Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's super. It's it's just awful that uh, that Dawn <laughs> is uncertain. <laughs> About when, yeah. like, when she's like, "Did you really think? Of course, I'm upset, or of course, I'm happy that the world didn't end." And Dawn's like, "Well, I wasn't sure if you would be." <laughs> Man, that's yeah. that is brutal, and that really got to me. And then yeah. Buffy's realization that her depression has been hard on the people that love her. Yeah, I mean, I could some people, some heartless, soulless monsters. Not me, of course, but some people could make a case of, you know, this is the hundredth time that Buffy has come to a similar a similar epiphany over the course of this season <laughs> but whatever whatever it's fine hopefully it sticks this time and uh, I, I felt the emotion of, of this as Buffy mm-hmm. again realizes that uh, you know her state of mind has really really affected her sister in particular yeah so. well uh, you know there are I'm sorry there's the phone should stop there are many testimonies to how important this show as a whole has been to people who struggle with depression Mm -hmm. um and other uh mental mental illnesses um i think this is uh 
I think because it is really realistic in the way that, you know, people, people who deal with depression, it, it's not something you just, you get over and then it's gone. Right. You know, it's not just a one-time thing. Right. <laughs> um, so even if it, it may seem like the thousandth time. <laughs> I know. I feel increasingly, uh, the, I, I feel increasingly like, you know, am I the asshole when, <laughs> when I bring this up? Because I, I've, I've dealt with depression my entire life and I'm in therapy and on medication and all that. So every time I bring this up and I'm like, this is the thousandth time Buffy has realized this, there is, trust me, audience, I, it may not seem like it, but there is a part of me that's like, would you shut up? You know. <laughs> You know how realistic that is. But just, yeah, just from a, a storytelling standpoint, I still struggle. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, come on. But. Um, I think, but that's what, I think that is also one of the things that some people really struggle with season six is that, and I, I said this last time too, um, you know, usually Buffy has one or two episodes where she struggles with being the Slayer. Mm-hmm. And then she's into it again. And season six, it's like, she was dead. <laughs> you don't get over being dead True. for three months um, in just, you know, two days. True. So um, Buffy, for Buffy, this was a longer episode, longer climb to deal with it. Um and that's totally and, fair. And totally her fair. whole, I mean, she just had a lot, a lot more to, to get over. But yeah, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying too. So, um, also the, this is a real revolution in her relationship with Dawn too, where she says, I don't want to just protect you from the world, mm -hmm. but I want to show it to you. Right. So that's a real, a real shift in their relationship as well. Yeah, there were a couple shifts in their relationship. In my notes, I wrote, one of the few notes I actually bothered to write down this time was Dawn finally gets to step up and swing a damn sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. See them fighting back to back. That's great. Uh, it, it's great that Buffy... I mean, they could have just had it play out where Dawn picked up the sword and managed to kill one of the one of the creatures, and then Buffy noticed that and was as, was impressed. But Buffy actually offered her the sword. Right. So, so that was a big moment between the two of them, and I, I do remember that in season seven that continues. That uh, yes, that Dawn continues training, right? She does continue training. She also discovers that uh, she's good at researching. Right. Right. She even thinks that she might be a potential for a while. Which why isn't she? <laughs> It would be great if she were, wouldn't it? But yeah. she's not. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. There was one more example, and I don't remember which episode it was. It was probably two to go. I, we, I should have covered so much more stuff in two to go. <laughs> where, uh, <clears throat> I don't think she said out loud, but she certainly implied, it's when she was talking to Giles, she certainly implied that uh, if she died, someone would, someone would rise and take her place. And I guess the way she said it, you could... Yeah. You could read it as, I mean, any one of us could say the same thing. But in the terms of the Slayer mythology, if what that meant is, you know, if I die, they'll just be a new Slayer, again, 
I want to point out to Buffy and everybody, that's not the case anymore. Buffy technically is not the Slayer anymore. That's Faith. And so Faith is the one who has to die for a new Slayer to be called. Yeah, and it's weird that they have that conversation um, and Giles just has no answer to her. Yeah, Where, But maybe just because they didn't want to go into it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a whole emotional thing. He didn't need to interrupt the flow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We also, I also wanted to point out the uh, heavy Christian symbolism. Oh, yeah. With Xander's whole thing. I mean, just the fact that uh, Xander has become a carpenter. And uh, he specifically refers to that and he, when he faces Willow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Joss Whedon, the angry atheist i mean i know he technically didn't write this episode but i feel like he must have had some say in how this scene plays out and he had to have known it was yeah that reference was in there yeah Yeah. and he hasn't shied away from having uh christian or other religious symbolism and and references throughout the series yeah but uh, it was just interesting that the the Christ figure of the show, I guess. Is Xander the Christ figure? I don't know. <laughs> he saves the world of with this love. Episode, this, yes. he's, yeah, I mean, so he's, he, he's even being lashed by Willow. He's mm-hmm. receiving wounds in a lashing motion. Um, yeah. As he's offering nothing but love. And right. Um, yeah. It was a very, very Judeo Christian thing. Yes. So it's definitely a Christ figure, some Christ figure imagery there. Um, and the fact that the the closing montage is over um, uh, Sarah McLaughlin's version of the prayer of St. Francis. Yes. Which so. <laughs> some people may think of as a cheap move. Like there's so many people that hate it when they feel like a show or a movie manipulates them into feeling emotions. And I'm like, these are works of fiction. Everything about them is a manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> Everything this story does to get you to feel anything is technically a manipulation, but indeed I, I am a sap for Sarah McLaughlin emotional songs. You could, I love her. Yeah. Yes. They've, they've played that card a couple times in the show before. Uh, at least this once. This is not the first Sarah McLaughlin song that's right, been on yeah, Buffy. Yeah, but uh, anyways, I love that song. I love I love the way it's used. Um, I was trying to pay attention to this the shots that we were seeing as the montage is playing underneath that song. And uh-huh. like, I wanted to make something out of the fact that the very last line of the song plays as we get a shot of Spike. <laughs> Uh, in the yeah. cave, um, uh, it was, but I don't remember what the last line was. Okay, I have notes on that. Okay, good. Look at that too. Okay, so here's what happens. Um, so as Buffy and Dawn walk into the s- dawn. Yes, the brand new dawn. Yeah. <laughs> of the this gardenscape, um, and the lo- the last line is, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Okay. And then it cuts to Spike in the African cave. And then the demon says, you've endured the tests. Okay. And they have their conversation. So Um, it's in dying that we are born 
into eternal life. That's the line? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to make something of that, and maybe we still can, but I I was like, oh, but wait, he's technically... I mean, I felt like the um, the sentiment of that line is that, uh, you know, we are reborn into the light or whatever, and I guess that's what's happening with Spike. I mean, he's still undead, well, technically, but... Yeah, um, but he's kind of being reborn in the sense to a different kind of eternal life. Yes. And, (laughs) and plenty more Christ imagery. Yeah. (laughs) Coming up for him, for that boy. Oh yeah. I mean, that's definitely in uh, season two, season seven, episode two. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure it's meaningful that this whole, that, that his, rebirth or whatever takes place in a cave yes and if only they could have told us that the trials took three days oh yeah that would be perfect (laughs) wouldn't it only they could have snuck that in there (laughs) there were three trials though so we at least got that there were yeah um yeah well so so what else have you got yeah um, I'm trying to see if I have any more notes from the commentary that are interesting. I think, no, I think I brought up the only really relevant ones. Yeah. Um, I, well, we do get, uh, just the last glimpse we have of, uh, Jonathan and Andrew oh, on yeah. their way to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. So that was, which, uh, uh I mean, it was funny like that that scene was meant to be kind of humorous and i'm not yes. saying that it's unrealistic like i i'm not arguing <laughs> that jonathan wouldn't have done that but it was just a little bit just the tiniest bit frustrating that he had spent two episodes or more technically um you know coming around and realizing the error of his ways and he even he even says when we're done with this we are going back to you know we're going back to prison and we're yeah you know paying our paying for our crimes or whatever and then he he does actually get the opportunity to run away and he takes it but yeah just a little a little irritating but i get it at that at Indeed. that point he doesn't think that they'll, they'll be safe in a jail cell right yeah it's like he's just been pushed to his limit i mean he's he's wow. he wants to do what's right but his um He's not a very brave character no. underneath it. Did you hear that ominous thunder crash in the background? Yes. Is that <laughs> that was here? What's happening outside? That was here. I'm obviously irritating somebody. Okay. Uh, well. Um, okay. Uh, so we have to we have to finish off on the big question, uh, and that okay. is and that is and I think our listeners probably know how this is going to go, but that is the end of season six. It's been it's been the elephant of the room elephant in the room since I started this podcast and now it's over. So okay. what are our, what are our thoughts on season six as a whole? Um, well, I, my thoughts are that although it's a difficult season, the characters go through a lot of struggles. They end up for the most part, better than where they began um but they still have a lot they're still going to have to 
you know, deal with the what the fallout or the yeah. the the results of this. I mean, Willow obviously she's got she's the one that has probably the longest way to come back from it. Yeah, um, I think Anya struggles for and a Anya, while. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's what we're going to see a lot of in season seven, but um. I think they, they learned so much in this season. So it was it was a struggle. It was hard to watch. It wasn't in a lot of ways. I mean, if people, it wasn't as escapist right. as some of the earlier seasons were. Right. I mean, there were some hugely, some really funny episodes. Um, like Tabula Rasa. Yes. Hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Um I think what's more with feeling, obviously one of the great episodes of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but you, so the unsurprising thing here is you enjoy season six, right? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I would say I enjoy it, but I appreciate it because I do think it has a structure that makes sense. Right. Okay. Where there's, you know, the, the learning structure for this characters, especially for Buffy is a returning to things that she needs to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's why it sometimes seems kind of frustrating. It's like, wait, didn't she do this already before? Right. But she, she has to keep coming around and around. That's that, um, things fall apart. Widening gyre structure that I was talking about. Exactly. Um, and finally she, comes to where she gets it when she returns to the grave with dawn we hope (laughs) well at least she climbs out of the grave you know on her own yeah voluntarily and and views the world as a place of hope rather than a place of horror which is how she saw it in season in episode one oh episode two all right this is just a heads up for you I may edit this out of the podcast if this doesn't happen, but obviously you can still hear the thunder happening behind me. Yeah. The, uh, the lights just flickered. <laughs> so, okay. So maybe we need to end this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I'll start wrapping up and I'll just say that, um, so my feelings on season six, um, historically my view of season six has been colored and I've been honest about this through the whole show that it's mostly been colored by my, uh, experience with, different contingents of the fan base back at the time the show was airing and with my perception of the some of the meta commentary that the writers made some of the behind the scenes stuff that i believe that i was made aware of yeah i would say that until such time as someone can convince me i was mistaken in what i believe i heard about writers intents and things that they said behind the scenes or whatever the the meta commentary of some of that stuff that persists i'm still frustrated by what i think some of the behind the scenes machinations were okay but um i am at a point where i do my best to be uh like open-minded and analytical about this stuff and so I'm kind of, I've reached the point where I kind of think both sides of the season six argument are correct uh, in that 
Um, it was a very dark season. Uh, it was difficult to watch. Um, uh, but also it was, it had a purpose, like it had a through yeah. line that it, it intended. It set out from the first episode to tell a particular story. And I feel like um, the, the idea of season six, I think was fantastic. Some of the execution I didn't love, but ultimately it was a story. Yeah. It was a story worth telling. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. I still, and I've always acknowledged that uh, whatever my feelings of season six, some of the best episodes of the series are in season six. Yes. Uh, so I'm thankful that we got those, but uh, at any rate, I, I'm not one of those people who would claim any longer that he hates season six. Well, good. So, <laughs> so, so there you go. A, a small victory, I guess. My resistance has been worn down finally. <laughs> All right. That sounds great. <laughs> well, listen, it sounds like you should go before the l storm hits you. Well, I just, I just don't want us to get cut off mid-sentence. Yeah. So I will uh, take this opportunity to thank you so much for uh, joining me for as, as much of season six as you could. Um, you're welcome. This has it been wonderful. Great. And uh, since I've been reminded that Buffy Goes Dark also covers season seven, you will be back for season seven. Okay. Just <laughs> let me know when I, when I can, uh, you know, uh, fill in or help out, whatever. All right. Uh, well, okay. you want to you let the listeners know how they can find you online? Okay. Yes. I'm on Twitter at E.L. Rambo. And that's probably the best place to find me online. And that's it. All right. And I'll have links to uh, in the library section of the show notes to your books. Great. Um, so uh, thank you everybody at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review that helps spread the word and bring new listeners in. Um, if you've got uh, questions for me or any of my guests, or if you just like to share your thoughts on anything we've talked about, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at cons with dead or reach, reach out to us. I'm still choking. Reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cons with dead. Uh, next up, we're going to kick off season seven and I haven't confirmed who the guest is on that. So it'll be a surprise just like it has been every week for the past, I don't know, eight episodes. <laughs> so uh, uh, until then, ger arg, everybody ger arg. Lord, make me an instrument of your where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, where there is doubt, where there is despair, where there is doubt.
And I